time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Yes, welcome back. We're in the summer months. How are you, JT? I'm good. It's good to see you guys. Doc, good to see you. I'm feeling good. Yeah, and, and I feel a little bit displaced because the doc and I have switched positions. <laughs> it takes very little for you to really sit. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes. He's, two two he's chairs. Talking, have, he's talking have, our seat arrangement, Yeah, the chairs have been switched, and it's thrown GB for a complete loop. <laughs> totally thrown off. <laughs> this could dominate the discussion today. Do you ever go to a hotel room, and you, you get in the wrong side of the bed that you're used to at, at home with your wife, and uh, you know, does all hell break loose for you when that happens? No, no, no. When I go to a hotel room, the... I only want the side <laughs> of the bed that my wife wants. <laughs> I see. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm sure. And that, I have, and a, I have a really, I have a really one of my best friends from growing up. I said uh, I got into a discussion about, I think like, rest, selecting tables at a restaurant, and he said, "Oh, well, when I go to a hotel." He said, yeah, I just basically sit in the lobby with the luggage <laughs> and I don't bring my luggage to the room until my wife <laughs> goes to the room and, okay's it. and approves it, which 99% of the time she doesn't. She usually finds, <laughs> she, invariably she'll find like, this is what he said, invariably she'll, she'll, she'll find like a hair on the pillow. Oh, wow. And she'll say, this is unacceptable. I want a different room. Well, he's learned. And it has to happen at least once. Until until she finds the room does, she does wants, it matter if the and hair, then he gets up and moves. <laughs> does it matter if the hair is straight or curly? <laughs> that's, that's a very GB type of yeah, a question. Yeah, it sure is. Do, that, do we know this person? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that's good. I like that. It's like a little game we can play after the show. Yeah, maybe. I, I heard yeah. a trick, which I haven't tried yet, but uh, you, you say to your wife, guess, uh, guess where we're going to dinner. You're going to just just guess. It's going to be, you know, what do you, where do you think I'm, I already made a reservation? And then she, her eyes will light up and she'll name, like, her favorite restaurant that she really wants to go to. And then you say, you're right. <laughs> and then you Very surreptitiously clever. make a reservation yeah, and you go. You turn your head away yeah. and get quickly tap away on your phone. Right, and, yeah, you, and you're a genius. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined today by a guest yes. named Brody Hyman. Brody <laughs> Actually, I thought it was Brody, Brody Finn. Bro, oh, that would be that's that might be mm. true. That's my that's my wife's last name. Could be Brody Finn. He's about to pull my microphone yeah, away. Yeah, bro. Brody, no, 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 oh. Brody, don't do that. <laughs> he's really he's tangled really up. Just, he's, he's sabotaging us. We, uh, get yeah, those legs up, dude. Brody's making a guest appearance, which is yeah, nice. It is nice. So it's been a few weeks. Thanks for uh, you know everyone coming back, sticking it's, around. The summer, you know, we all take a break. Um, recharge a little bit so but we're back and um it's good to see you guys doc you had a you you were away a little bit is and then is that why you had an especially busy week i like do people cover for you and then summers i would imagine it's kind of like that a little bit i mean i i it's not like it doesn't happen just randomly throughout the year where i'll have a week and it's a particularly heavy call week where and again the way call there's different kinds of call you you can take call for your office practice and they tend to be pretty mellow because if you're a good doctor you know most of your patients are well taken care of and i mean people have stuff that comes up but it's not like you're getting crushed with emergencies every night but then there's and so that call is always super quiet and mellow but then you may be on hospital call where you're on what's called panel call. I think we've talked yeah. about this. Yeah. And so then you could get anybody who sure. comes in and needs a urologist and they don't have one. So um, and then I cover mo like particularly two hospitals, busy hospitals. And sometimes those calls overlap, hmm. meaning I'm taking both at the same time. Um, someone was recently asking me, like, well, how do you do that? What if, like, both hospitals call you at the same time? Which can happen, and you just have to kind of triage it. Juggle it, yeah. You just got to say, like, okay, this person's... So that's happened to you? Yeah, this person's got a situation that, you know, we can... You know, maybe they're passing a stone, so we tell I tell the ER doctor, just, you know, get them on some morphine and get them comfortable. 
And then meanwhile, another hospital has something that's more pressing that I have to run over and take care of, and then I can swing back. But you've never had a conflict where you had to be in two places at once. No, no. I mean, if God forbid that were to ever happen, there, I would probably just have to reach out to a colleague or someone and just start you know, scrambling to find out who could help. Who could, you yeah. know, and are you sort of almost unconsciously, when you're on call like that, especially two hospitals, you're not maybe having a drink with dinner. You're you're right. sticking close to home a little bit more. Yeah, I mean the lifestyle I would yeah. think just sort of naturally shifts a little. Yeah, a little bit for sure. And there's you no don't c- feel as free to just do whatever you want. And, and you might no get a conflict. call at three a.m. Right, right. right. Um, but I thought in you know for this show I would just because it was so busy this week I would just you know sort of rapid fire go over a few cases that I had to deal with during the week. All right, quick um, hits. Okay, so quick hits. The f- the the first one I was going to tell you about is uh, a situation, and this is where, like, you know, this was the situation, the situation was I was driving to my office, this was, like, on Wednesday, and um, and I was going a little early, because my office clinic, the first patient shows up at 9, um, so I was driving in at about 7.15, because I wanted to get some paperwork done, and um, so far, this is not the most interesting part. That's not the. So <laughs> what, while what, I'm in my what, car, well, I didn't what, know you did paperwork. Yeah, I thought you, just, you, ha- you know, charting, charting. I thought you have people who do bills. paperwork for you. No, Are you no, on the one on one or bills. surface streets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the one on one, and um, and it's uh, it around seven fifteen. And the phone rings, and I see it says Northridge Hospital, which is one of the hospitals I work at, and I pick it up, and it's the uh, ER. And I said, hi. And he says, hi, we have a, an individual, a young man who came in um, in his late 20s, and he had testicular pain starting a few days ago. They did a scrotal ultrasound, which is what you would do with someone who comes into the emergency room with testicular pain, um, because ultrasound is a great way of looking at the testicle. It's actually better than CAT scan. Um, it's because it's so close to the surface, you can see a lot of detail with the ultrasound. There's not a lot of distance between the skin and, and the structure. And it's right there in the ER probably, right? Yeah. It's simple to do. It's simple to do. So one thing they can do with ultrasound is they can see, first, if there's areas that have too much blood flow. So if like the side of the testicle, there's, some, there's a structure, we've talked about this before, the epididymis. Mm. Which is where the is like where the vas deferens, which is the sperm tomb, begins. It's in this structure called the epididymis, is prone to getting infected. And if there's too much blood flow there, it suggests infection. On the other hand, if there's no blood flow in the testicle, mm. no blood flow. Not good. Not good. It means the testicle's twisted. We've talked about this. That's a torsion. Torsion. So that was the case. GB, torsion. Remember that tor- remember that? I certainly do. Okay. So twisted torsion. Sister. And I said, okay. He said, yes, this, this patient has torsion, you know, no blood flow consistent with torsion. Um, I said, okay, now I have to make this calculation in my mind. Like, am I going to cancel my... First, first of all, can I make it until... Can this patient wait until I'm done with my morning clinic and then I could take him to the opera? He has to go to surgery. He has to go to surgery so that we can untwist it in the operating room and also pex it. Pex it means putting a little tiny stitch on the inside of the inner wall of the scrotum. So you, you remember this, you'll sort of attach it in there so it doesn't happen again. So it doesn't twist again. And yeah. you're supposed to do it to both sides because the other side's now prone to it too. I remember that. So he asked me, um, you know, what I wanted to do. And I had to kind of think in my mind, like, well, it's like 7.30 or 7.15. I'm, you know, if I, if I go to work and have this guy wait until noon, that's too long. Because really, you're they've, supposed to... They've already seen no blood flow. They've already seen no blood flow. Yeah. Really, in the standard of care is you're really supposed to take them immediately. I was going to say, get on the 405 and get over there. Immediately. <laughs> so it's not much of a calculus. It's like, I've got to take care of this guy. But then I'm like, okay, do I, if I take care of him now, do I have to cancel my whole clinic? Hmm. I mean, these are the logistics on the way in, and you're thinking, well, who cares? you got to save this guy's testicle. Don't worry about any of that stuff. But... You know, at the end of the day, like, I still run a business. I have a practice. I have to at least think logistically about, you know, my business. So do I cancel my whole clinic that morning, which means I've got to get in touch with my staff and tell them it's, you know, even though it's 730 and say, listen, you're going to have to call all the patients and cancel them. 
um, or maybe some of the patients or what. Anyways, do you, do you, do you buffer the appointments? What does Meaning, that mean? If you, you said you had a 9 a.m., and do you, what is that, a 15-minute appointment? Yeah. Or th- and then is your next one at 9.15 or is the next one at 9.30? 9.15. Okay. And Unless so, it's a new patient, and then I make it a 30-minute appointment. Got it. So, so you had a full... I had a full schedule from full 9 schedule. to 12. Got it. Yeah. So and you couldn't and you couldn't push your lunch hours from what twelve? What's a doctor? So twelve to two? Yeah, <laughs> twelve to one is lunch hour, right? It is actually twelve to two because you have to realize that like I'm not just done at twelve. It's like right. the person, yeah, like that so, person so could, may walk out of the office. Shift, couldn't you buffer. just shift everybody? Like change your change your nine and tens to noon? Yes and no. It. Uh, it, it's possible you could do that, but then first of all, they have schedules too. Yeah. Then there's the, the there's the patients. Okay. The, yeah, there's also the there's also the staff. By law, I have to give them their lunch, and that gets confusing too. And my question is, as a patient, if you cancel on me, do I have the right to send you an invoice because <laughs> because you wasted GB my question. time? That's a classic wait, GB time. Like wait, like, you're wasting, GB, like you're wasting our time right now. <laughs> I'm not wasting your time. I am expressing the frustration yeah. of every known patient right. on the, on right. this earth. You know what? In all seriousness, you're. I'm sure it is. Uh, it's inconvenient for everyone, but the bottom line is, if you're that guy at the Northridge Hospital, you want the doc, you know, getting in the right hand lane yeah. and and getting up there. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Um, and I think. I mean, I think your question. I can. I can see the point of your question. I also can say that, like, that is the nature of the relationship that you have to at least understand from the get-go um, when you establish that relationship, especially in a surgical specialty. Yeah. You're going to see someone who's in a surgical specialty. I understand They're our relationship. Be experiencing emergencies that will take them away. I understand our relationship. My balls are in your hands. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and at the risk of prolonging this, just one more question, GB. Like. How often have you made an appointment with a doctor that they had to cancel because of an emergency situation? I actually had that once, and and they lied to me. Uh-oh. It was a lie. Don't lie to GB, folks. It was a lie. Don't lie so, to GB. That's a this, bad idea. So, I feel like you might have made Was this like in the last couple of years? Maybe it just came up. Go ahead. It was a few years ago. Uh, you know, I'm like an elephant. I can remember everything <laughs> negative that has happened in my <laughs> life. I can't remember anything positive. I remember the negative. <laughs> But it was, uh, it was an orthopedic doctor, and I showed up, and they canceled on me. And they said he had to go to emergency surgery. Oh, that, and it, I'm like, okay. And I'm familiar. like, I, I get it. Emergency surgery. You know what? He gets a pass. I said, can I and use GB the... went out for a cup of coffee, and there he was. No, and so I said, can I use the restroom? Oh, yes. There he was, standing. <laughs> At the urinal? He was standing in, in the pit, or whatever you want to call it where you know he's giving notes or looking at the computer he, it was a lie well and that and that and it's that is possible me off. he had something that they had to shift half of the patients or something like but, that but but th- but they they well, said he was, they said he was out of the office it was a lie uh-huh. the other thing that i found with orthopedics is because um, depend well at least the orthopedics i go to are sports guys and so they always affiliate with sports teams whether it's collegiate or professional and those folks always get priority over the uh, run-of-the-mill patients like me so right. I get very annoyed <laughs> and right. on this top of it the orthopedics the insight into GB's mind well I mean but but, but you're on right, top of it the, but you good, chose to go to a sports orthopedic guy that treats the Lakers or whatever you know that's gonna you're gonna be last on his list um your jump shot's good, good but it's I, not that I, good. I think it, I think it was uh, UCLA women's volleyball, <laughs> but that's but that's but that's a, di- a different issue. But there there's another school of thought in that the doctors that you go to when you do have to wait, it means that they're in demand, and it potentially also means they're taking extra time with the Thorough. patients. Yeah. So it's actually it could actually be a good sign. That's true. So you, it, so it true. depends. You talked about a gastro guy that you were like, I think it was. I think it was my gastro guy. Colonoscopy. Yeah, and you were like, I want to go to that guy right, he's because always, he's always late. Because whenever I'm operating right. at that surgery center, right. I always have to wait. And when I ask him, why am I waiting? Yeah. Mike, I'm, I'm 30 minutes delayed. And they're like, it's Dr. Such and yeah. Such. He takes a really long time to yeah. do those colonoscopies. He, really he looks at every fold of the colon, right. front and back. <laughs> and I'm like, 
oh, that's the guy I want to do my colonoscopy. Right. I, I went to that. I went to that guy. <laughs> there you go. So, needless to say, uh, so do- doctor, there's one. Can- my invoice is in the mail for the appointment you canceled on <laughs> okay. me. Okay, here's for the, my valuable there's, time. There's one more <laughs> caveat about this case, which is that, and if you, it, I slipped it in if you didn't catch it, which is. How long has he had this testicular pain? Well, I heard yeah. you say it's been a few days. A few days. Which I, I remember. Now, it's episode 14 was a case with Oof, a twist. Look at, G, look at, JB, oh. look at if, JT. If, well, people want to go deeper dive into right this. Up those, a, that, a, that information about prior a episodes. Case, a case with it. a twist. Episode 14. But what I remember, a twist. If, I, <laughs> if I remember correctly, and I'm going to say it was four hours, is roughly the amount of time you have before your... Uh, you go south on on your testicles capabilities. <laughs> there you go. That's correct. About four hours. Right, four to six hours until okay. you start really having. It's like a it's like a statistical probability of of salvageability. Like how salvageability, likely is it that you'll right. be able to salvage it? Yeah, no, I heard and you that say that a probability few days. starts to plummet. Well, that got me thinking. Like, like why rush over hours. there? I mean, like you know. So that was the other thing in my mind. I was like, well, really, I could wait until. But then it's like. There's that sort of medical legal voice. Yeah, I was going to say that's when <laughs> that's when the malpractice. You had, right, you had GB bulb. in your head. I had GB in my head, <laughs> and GB was like, "Well, you know, isn't there even the slightest chance right. that that well, testicle could be salvageable?" That's fair. That's now, fair. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that I have to just push that out of my head. Yeah. So yeah, medical legally, it doesn't matter. I I got to get over there. I got to take care of this. So then the next thing in my mind is like. So if I get there right, if I get there, I, I went on to my ways, and I'm like, okay, it's going to take me 15 minutes. You to like ways? I like Google Maps. I like ways. Do you use, do you use Apple Maps? I like to hear the end of the story. Are you going <laughs> to edit this part out? I might. I think it's, I think it's important. I don't it's, like ways because, right now, because it takes you like all these left and right turns. I just like, I only use it just to decide is there going to be some kind of massive traffic jam. But, but doesn't I, Google I know, Maps tell you that too? I know two things for sure. One, this guy's nut is in dire straits. And two, <laughs> I have, uh, there's a high likelihood I'm pulling out half of what you've said on this episode. <laughs> so hold, hold on. So, so Waze? That's not true. I'll leave Waze, that. Google, or Apple Maps? God, if you're going to force me to... You really, I actually have an answer to this. If okay, you, well, I want to hear. I, oh. think it's, I think our audience wants to know. I'll, I'll especially it. when the doctor is rushing to the hospital. Okay, I'll keep this, I'll keep this very short, but it is in my, my, uh, my background. So Waze is going to give you the shortest route, but it's going to be the most circuitous, and they're not taking into account bad left turns, so it often is worse. Exactly. Google Maps is going to be your best option, which I like. I like to give an overview of it so I can see the actual traffic. Yep. It's going to usually get you there soonest, but the the outlier is Apple Maps, which I like because my Apple Watch will buzz as I approach every turn. It's a nice little... If you have an Apple Watch, the Apple Maps advantage is is nice. So Okay. So That's it sounds good. like I've been validated that it was a good question. So, so Doc, Doc, it sounds like you need an Apple Watch and Apple Maps, right. or you need to use I'm gonna Google. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to think okay. about that. Anyway, so um, I look at that. It says, like, you know, 15 minutes, and then I'm thinking, okay, if I get to the hospital by 7.30, will they get me into a room? Because 7.30 yeah, you are is early. the start time for all the elective cases mm-hmm. at most hospitals. Well, don't so that you means bump elective cases you, when there's an emergency? Yes, but not if the elective case has started. So if somebody's doing an elective case... But it's 7.15. But I'm, I'm not going to get fif- there until 7.30. Waze has told him it's 15 minutes away. Right, so But don't depends. they prep the room with the, with the right tools? It's, it's true. It's... it's Anyways, in the end, it worked out. Yes, it it was like I was right on the on the line. Is all I'm saying is that like another, you know, I was right on the line where like they could say we've. And I'm not sure about the start time at Northridge. I'm a little more certain about other hospitals. Maybe maybe the start time was at seven. Is there for all preferred the cases. emergency parking when this happens, or do you still no. have to park in the structure? You park in the doctor's lot. The doctor's lot, but yeah. okay. So so they they um, but yeah, I mean, if they already started all their elective cases, then I can't bump them once they start. So then I'd have right. to wait for somebody to finish their elective case. So I might not be able to so start. So that's until interesting. Like so you're looking at the clock and you're thinking, I get there at seven twenty nine. Yeah. I might make it. Yeah. So I immediately call the OR and I and I tell them what's going on, and they're like, "Where's the patient now?" And I said, "The patient's in the ER." And they said, "When are you going to be here?" And I said, "I'll be there in exactly fifteen minutes." And they said, "Okay, you'll be in room 6 I'm like, "Great." Mm. So then I dash over to the hospital. I see the guy in the ER. 
I said, how long have you had this pain? He said, I've had it since Monday. I said, okay, you know, it's Wednesday. So I have to tell you that I'm going to try to repair this, but there's a very, very, very high possibility that I won't be able to salvage this testicle. How old are they? 27. 27. And I'm going to have to remove it. And uh, And was there any... uh any trauma, anything that caused this? I know it can just most, sort of spontaneously happen. Most of the time, they're spontaneous yeah. when yeah. they twist. So uh, can you do, if you do but have... To, but it's a genetic condition. It's like a pr- genetic predisposition type of thing. It's oh. not like any guy can have a torsion. Most testicles are naturally connected to that inner wall right. of the scrotum. And, and you said it it's happens... It's called the gubernacular attachment. I remember that. Gubernacular. Gubernaculum. Yeah. Gubernaculum. Gubernaculum. Yeah, we've talked about this. Gubernaculum. So I remember you saying, like, is it around 12 to something? Like, it becomes more... If it's going to happen to you, it's going to happen Right. Age age is typically, like, in the early teens to the very... Like, to, like, 21 years old at the most. 20. So to see this in a 27-year-old is very unusual. See, I listen to the show. So I have a question. Jay's all over it. So if you have to remove the testicle, do do you have a... We're going to talk about that in a second. Mm. Do you do do the... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Okay, so So we're heading there. In the same procedure, or is it a separate procedure? We're heading there. All right, okay. So... So I tell the guy this, and I, I and, wish you'd and get on first, with it because I'm like you're at the edge of your seat. I'm on my edge of my seat yeah. to know what, so, whether or not there was a so replacement. So at first, I, I I was preparing like that this guy was going to be really upset, and he kind of was. He's like, "Oh, really?" And I said, "I know it's it's very upsetting, and I'm, I'm so sorry." And you know, I mean, if you want, this is the kind of thing where uh, not today, but like in the future, if you wanted to get like a prosthetic, mm-hmm. we can we can set that up. Oh, okay. And so it's goes, not the same. It's not the same day. To do you, a prosthetic? Yeah. No, prosthetic. If you so it, not yeah, a prosthetic. No, that so was I question. said, I said, and fertility um, isn't But affected. he said, you know, it's okay, doc. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, yeah, I'm just going to be part of the club. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, like three of my cousins and one of my brothers has, they all have one testicle. I'm like, you're kidding. Wow. And he said, no, I go all from torsions. And he goes, no, they all had undescended testicles. They all had undescended testicles on one side. So that was kind of interesting. I was like, wow. He goes, yeah. So they'll just laugh and say, now you're part of the club. So I was like, okay. So um, at the urology and I will Christmas tell you, party, I this, will is tell a, you, so this me, story goes the over other really thing well. Is, is that's my, I, I happened to mention to my wife, I had said, yeah, there was, a, there was a torsion. And she goes, well, can anybody tell if the person has one testicle? And I was like, actually, it's extremely noticeable yeah. when the guy is standing there. You it's like, this. you don't realize it. You don't realize that it actually totally changes the view. <laughs> but it's a very easy cosmetic surgery. It is an easy cosmetic thing. And do you do that? I do. but the, and, and it's very simple. So you do cosmetic it's, surgery? Of course. Oh. Circumcisions, I do, you know. T- I, circumcisions are cosmetic? It's not a health thing? No, a lot of people want to have want to be circumcised just because... They don't like to have foreskin. Adult, right, right. But, but I, I thought there were medical reasons to actually there do are, it. But yeah. there's also. Are you going to make me pull up the episode reasons. where we talked yeah, about that? Yeah, we as talked well? about that. Okay. <laughs> right. so, so, so he lost. I got his it. So I took him to the OR, um, and fortunately, they moved very quickly. And yes, I, I opened up. And when you open, when you make an incision in the scrotum, you make an incision. In the, actually, there's different ways to do this operation. Okay. You could do an incision on the left side, or you could do an incision on the and, and and do an incision on the right side because you have to operate on both sides because yeah. you're going to pex the other side. Um, and I would say 90% of urologists do it that way. I'm one of the 10% who doesn't. <laughs> so I do it a way that um, I make a midline incision. So I go down what's called the median raffe, which is that you know little line in the, the center raffae. of the the, the, mil- that, the center of the highway, in the center of the of the scrotum, yeah. and you and what the, what is that really? That's where the labial folds fused. So if you think about the scrotum, the scrotum really is labia. Yeah, this was episode 31. Yeah, labia (laughs) fused together. Episode 8. The labia fused (laughs) together, form that raffe, and your testicles go on each side. So I make an incision there, and then I can access both the right and the left sides. There's a septum between the two. And and then there's like no scar. And then there's like no scar. Well, so it's you a really are a cosmetic yeah, It's a good way to do it. So Plus, it's much more efficient. Was, is this known much as more the efficient. Hyman procedure? No, no, no. It's just a lot you of didn't it's invent this? No. But it's very efficient because now you just have one incision to stitch clothes. And the stitching clothes can take a while. So it's much faster. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, of course, I'm interested in being efficient because I want to try to get to you my got that clinic. that 9 o'clock. <laughs> so yeah. I open up that left side. 
and I and this and the testicle comes out no and it's, yet. it's 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 like sort of purplish black, Oof. which is not good. And it's twisted like two times. So Oof. I untwist it, untwist it until it's straightened out. And then you wait. You put it in like a warm blood. towel and you yeah. wait until it, see if it pinks up. Yeah. And while I'm doing that, I'm working now on the right side, do the pexy that we talked about. Yeah. You stitch it up. And then by the time I was done with that, I, it's still black. And then I made a little cut inside to see if any of the tubules inside. Oh, wait, you're going in. You're actually doing the, what do you call it, the plex? Pex? The pexy on the, the pexy. right, the orchidopexy on the right on side. On the healthy one. On the healthy side. So it's like almost prophylactic. You're, you're taking oh, yeah. 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 It's preventive because that yeah. side's prone to twisting. And you don't want to lose both. Right. Um, Can you so have a torsion uh, in both at the same time? I suppose you could, but I've never seen that. Got it. But I'm sure it's been written up somewhere Got at it. some time. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, the answer, get to your question. At this point, you make a decision. This testicle is not salvageable, and we're now going to remove it. And to remove it, you have to divide the vessels that are in the cord. You have to divide the vas deferens. And each of those divisions, you can't just cut through it. Um, you have to tie them all because even though, you know, the testicle's dead, there's still vessels inside that could start pumping blood out and they would start bleeding. So you got to tie everything off. You cut the, the below the ties and you pass the testicle off the field. And then you have to close. So let me ask a question. So... You take the testicle out, then you have to send it to a lab to be examined for cancer. I, I mean, it's a Do standard. It's, it's a, a standard, and why standard is standard of care? Because first of all, you just have to. It has to be documented. Like, let's say the family or the patient wants to see, like, was my testicle really dead? And then, to your point, what happens if, like, it turns out there's an incidental tumor in there that no one knew about before? Yeah, it's a standard that any tissue that comes out of the human body in an mm. operating room must go to pathology with some exception you know it's like sometimes we're operating say on a kidney and there's a like a, a layer of fat sort of in the abdomen that we have to kind of remove to get to that point we might say like this is for uh, discard and they'll throw it away but most if most you have to take out like a square of skin does that go to the lab if too? that's the purpose of coming sure, to yeah. the operating room of course no but to get to to get to a specific structure um probably if there's if it's something like skin where it's like something that you could potentially find something incidental yeah. like a melanoma you probably would send that to path as got a it. standard. So yeah. The big question is did you make your 9 o'clock? I got there patient. by 9:30. Okay, only two guys. He got. and he was a really I, I knew who the guy was and when I called my staff before I went in I said, "Oh, it's Mr. such and such. He's really very chill. He he'll be okay with it." And he was. He but was I thought you totally had two. Okay. You had a 9 and a 9:15. Yeah, they were they were both okay. They were both okay. And then, did you see them first? I and, did. And then you I delayed did. everybody else. Yeah. yeah, but I caught up. That's I fair. caught up. Okay. Because the 9 o'clock guy was like a really quick five-minute post-operative evaluation to make sure he didn't have an infection or anything, so I just said a quick hello. When you're late like that, do you validate parking? Because that's the other thing. Sometimes. You're causing the patient to spend have, more <laughs> in I the parking I do have validation stickers, and if someone is really delayed, yeah. and particularly if they're verbally up like they're they're vocal about it like they're like geez doc it's been an hour you know uh, i gotta be somewhere huh. i'm like i'm so sorry about that let me take care of your parking you know so gb i'm going to retract my head shake just now because <laughs> validating due to a due to the doctor's delay is actually uh that's a real deal it's not a bad request there you go so yeah and i think that's actually a good th point i think that when folks are really kept waiting, I think it's reasonable to ask the doctor to cover their parking. I do. It's I think that's very everybody. reasonable. I mean, yeah. um, so anyway, uh, that was one case. Yeah. The next case... Especially with the parking rates that are so outrageous at doctor's offices. <laughs> the next case um, that I will tell you real quick about was um, a lady, they called me about, I got a text on this one, and it said, hey, can you see this patient in the intensive care unit, a 93-year-old uh, Armenian woman who is DNR. Do you guys know what DNR means? Do not resuscitate. Right. So anyway, they... And uh, what time of night was this or during this the day? This was uh, at about um, 11 o'clock at night. Okay. So they say she's in the intensive care unit in septic shock with an obstructing stone. Okay. Um, so uh, this is complicated, right? Because... When you're in septic shock... Yeah, what's the condition of a patient in, like, consciousness? Right. So what does shock mean? 
Shock means the definition of shock is that you can't maintain your blood pressure. Hmm. Really? Which means you're on a machine too. It's too low then, your blood pressure. It's too low, and you have to artificially keep it up. You have to artificially keep up your blood pressure. So how do we artificially elevate your blood pressure? There's several ways. One way is if, if, if you have something in like a pipe and there's just not enough pressure in the pipe, right. how can you raise the pressure of the fluid in that pipe? You make the put, pipe tighter. Put more in. Put more in. So how do we put more in? You blood. We give them fluid. Yeah. We, not blood. Oh. We just give them fluid. So oh, we really? just start dumping. We just hang a bag and just start wide open putting really? in saline into you. Hmm. Yeah. Wide open. Sometimes we have to, if for some reason you're anemic and now you're going to dilute down your blood count even more, we have All to right, add because blood. Because the, the fluid's going into the veins. Yeah, right, of the course. fluid's going in. So you, but, that's but if one you're way. septic, to, would you also put antibiotic in there? Of course. You're putting antibiotic. You're putting fluids. Then we use something called pressors. Pressors are drugs. They're very powerful. Sounds like a deli. <laughs> it's a very powerful drug. And what it does is it causes your blood, your arteries to constrict. So if you're putting fluid into a pipe and you get the diameter of that pipe a little smaller, what's going to happen to the pressure? Yeah, it goes up. It's going up. So, so you put them on pressors. You give them a lot of fluid. You put them on IV antibiotics. And that, that's just somebody who comes in in, in shock. They're in shock. She's, she's like kind of very foggy, losing her consciousness. They check her blood pressure. It's like 80 over what we call 80 over power. Did she speak English, by the way? No, she didn't speak so English. So you were right. Well, the family was there. Oh, that's help. good. Yeah, the family was there. So, and I wasn't part of all of this. This all happened in the ER. They got her stabilized, yeah. and then they transferred to the ICU. And, and then in addition to getting her stabilized, they got a urinalysis. The urinalysis showed blood and white blood cells and bacteria, so they knew it was a urinary tract source for the infection. And then the family mentioned that she was complaining of flank pain, so they got a CAT scan, and the CAT scan shows a large stone just at the outlet of the kidney, way up high, blocking all the urine, and that urine's clearly infected. Flank pain towards your back generally is a kidney issue. I mean, it feels like that's... It's, it's one of the possible issues. Okay, yeah. But you could have flank pain. Uh, somebody consulted me today for a patient who had flank pain in the back. They actually had a stone inside their kidney, and the doctor referred, said, I'm worried that this stone is causing this pain, but I saw the patient and determined that that was not the source of pain. Hmm. And he even said, like, I've had kidney stones before, and this does not feel like kidney stone pain. Hmm. It feels like almost like muscular pain. And I agreed with him. I said, yeah, you're describing what does not sound like kidney pain at all. So it doesn't always mean it's pain, but I mean a kidney, but it could certainly be. He just, he just happened to have a stone also. That guy, right? Yeah. He happened to have a stone there, yeah. But it wasn't obstructing. It wasn't causing blockage. It wasn't the source of his pain. His urine was negative. It was no, yeah. Anyways, back to this lady. The real complicating issue with her is... She's got a DNR. She's DNR. So DNR, like do not resuscitate, which makes it difficult because, um, first of all, if you're going to do something about this obstructing stone. Like, you can keep her on pressors and antibiotics, but as long as that stone is there and trapping that infected urine in there, you can wait, give wait, her wait, pressors. Hold, on, hold, hold on. on. No, you hold on. If you're giving her pressors and antibiotics with a stone that's blocking infected fluid, how is that infected fluid ever going to stop being infected? But that's my question. Isn't do not resuscitate, meaning if your heart stops, you, you, you don't restart the heart, but on just a simple... And I'm, I, I guess I'm using the wrong word, but on a standard, common medical procedure to get rid of the stone, wh how does that impact the DNR? It's request? a good question. It's a good question. The fact. See now, is, I'm just sorry you cut me off. It's it's a, it's a, the fact <laughs> is is that when you first of all when you um, there's several ways to answer that. Number one is. Anytime you do a, a, a procedure that requires general anesthesia, you have to lift the DNR. In other words, you have to cancel the DNR order. The family and the patient or whomever has... Right. Uh, yeah, you have to take away the DNR because you're basically, by definition, you're giving yeah. them drugs in the <laughs> operating room and then you're to gonna get resuscitate their lungs them. to stop, and you're going to intubate them and get their lungs working again. Right. So you have to lift the DNR to take them to the operating so room. So even though it's a s relatively simple procedure, right. it still requires... So this is a, a complex legal issue. Who gets to lift the DNR? Whoever has oh, the, the power family. of attorney. Yeah. 
Okay. And then the other issue... Did, did yeah. the, and somebody in that family who was in the waiting room had the power of attorney? Right. Now and, you, and how do you validate that? What they, do they show... They, they have papers, the, So, often. But let's say if they it's didn't... like an br- elderly parent, they know to bring it in. Oh, so they know it. Okay. Now, you said that the definition of shock is the blood pressure, but is she conscious? She In this case, she was, because they... She wasn't in severe shock. There's different degrees of shock, and there's different ways to measure it. One way to measure it is just how much of those pressors they have to give you. Are you on one presser drug? Are you on dual two? Are you on three triple pressors? Are you on a high number? There are drips. Are you on a high drip or on a tiny low drip? In her case, she was on two presser drugs, but very, very low drips. So she wasn't in severe shock. Plus... When you're in super severe shock, you sometimes can't even you, you know you're too weak to even breathe, and you have to be intubated. Okay, so let me ask you so a, she another question. She was not question. intubated. She was awake and she was so, oriented. Okay, so then the question then is, do you ask her to lift the DNR, or do you ask the family? And then it's whoever has it power of attorney, who, yeah. and the family can make that decision with her if well, they want but, to. But what what if the family said yes, lift it, and she says no? But no. that's but that's all been predetermined. That's pre-determined. always been decided. No, but yeah. n- n- no, it's predecided. But you have now said she's conscious. No, but it doesn't matter. I've had cases where someone's conscious, but they don't have power of attorney anymore, right. and I've had to do a procedure so, that so, they didn't want to do, but I had to do it. Right. Because the family had power the of attorney. Power of attorney. So, how, how does the hospital determine when the power of attorney kicks in? It kicks in. Is it's with automatically? That piece, yeah, with it that kicks, piece of paper. It's just the piece of paper. Absolutely. It kicked in when they walked in the it door. It kicked in when they walked in the door. Just like you. If, you. if you walked in there, you have power of attorney. I had a patient. This is like I had a, a Britney patient, Spears movie. I had a patient no, three weeks not. ago. Everyone I had a patient, has power of attorney. I had a patient three weeks ago. Haven't we done Fournier's gangrene? We've talked yeah. about that. I had a patient three weeks ago with Fournier's gangrene. A man who was like in his late seventies. This was a woman that we. Had. I'm talking about another. Case. No, I know. Yeah, this case. This was three weeks ago. He had Fournier's gangrene, and he was in his late seventies. And his wife said, "I want you to take him to the operating room." And as we were wheeling him in, he's like, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this." We had to do it because she had power of attorney, and she brought the papers. Yep, absolutely. Now, she if she didn't bring the evidence of the power of attorney, you would have had to listen to him. No, that's not necessarily true. Um, you, there's other ways to go about it. You can contact somebody who can verify that she's the power of attorney. You can get a, a lawyer or a legal representative that can verify that she's and the power of attorney. This is important but, stuff. As, but as you're as right. If, if, if for some reason that guy showed up and there was no one there to verify or to even acknowledge that there was a power of attorney, you're right, we'd be stuck. And then it goes to, there's a committee that makes these, that, that in the hospital that can like get to, like an ethics committee that will make these decisions. I mean, you read about this stuff. I mean, the bottom line is if you're in a situation where you have a DNR, your loved one has a DNR, you want to have this stuff locked down solid and tight because in these moments, the last thing you want is family members... People to like be, be yeah. scurrying about trying to right. find you know legal precedents and stuff. Right. Like that. And financial responsibility never comes up in, in these. Well, first of all, she's Medicare it's, and yeah, yeah. So, so it's all covered. T- yeah, it's okay. all covered. So so they ultimately I mean, decided even, even intubating would be violating a, the DNR. Oh yeah, big yeah. time. Sure, big time. Um, but they ultimately decided you know that they you know with the information they said well what's involved here and I said well because she's infected and in septic shock. It's completely uh, contraindicated for us to go after that stone directly, like break up the stone, because if you try to break up a stone in an infected kidney, that can make it far worse. You're showering them with, you know, bacteria, and it's crazy. So the best thing you can do is just drain that kidney, get that infected fluid out of the kidney, and there's two ways to do it. One's from below by putting up a stent. When I say below, going through the urethra into the bladder, putting up a stent up the ureter, past the stone and into the kidney. But that requires general anesthesia. The other approach is to put in a percutaneous nephrostomy tube. Oh, we've talked about this. Right, where you put the tube in through the back, and that does not require general anesthesia. That just requires a little sedation, and they do an ultrasound to find the where the fluid is, and they put a little numbing injection in the skin, then they mm. put a little needle in through the skin, that goes into that kidney space, and they draw it back and make sure they're in that. Sp- they, that they sounds that more than they economical. Why would you not do it that way? Economical, or I mean, it's it. It may be economical. Actually, I I don't know how economical that but, is. But but you but you one. but it's less risky. You're not under anesthesia. Is that what you mean? You don't need another doctor in the room. Right. So it is less. It's it it actually is a pro and a con risk. 
It's in her case, you're right. It's substantially less risky because you've got a lady who's already on dual pressors, and to induce her for anesthesia, you're going to give you these heavy drugs that will, by their nature, drop your blood pressure. So it's going to do the opposite of what you want. So you could cause her to have like cardiac arrest by taking her to the operating room, putting her under general anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So you're right. The the more the safer thing to do is to just do the kind of a local thing. Is, is this the doctor's call, or do you go back to the family on a choice like this? It's pretty much my call. Got it. Yeah. Now, so the, the thing is that you have to realize is that um, uh, there are risks in putting in the nephrostomy tube that don't exist if you were putting up a stent. Namely, the biggest one is bleeding. Because when you're putting up a stent, you're not cutting or putting right. needles into any kind of vascular structure. But when you put these nephrostomy tubes in, you're pushing a needle right through the bulk of the kidney to get into that central space where the infected fluid is. And you could put that needle through like a big artery or vessel and cause massive bleeding around the kidney. Well, but do, you, do you have to worry about the infected fluid also coming out through that? Not really. No, you incision. really don't have to worry about that. It's no. not really an incision. It's just a needle that's going in there oh. and drawing. It's like putting in a needle yeah, into yeah. like a pus pocket right. and drawing it out. The, and I don't do this procedure. This is a procedure done by an interventional radiologist. I an don't do it. Interventional radiologist. Yes. It's a radiologist who who's learned everything about radiology, and then they do a fellowship, additional training after their radiology residency to do procedures like this that are... Um, done in what's called a, a radio, a special suite, like almost like an operating room, but it's with all these special imaging equipments like CAT scanners and something called fluoroscopy. Where they, so these are the guys who like feed. Is this an on-call person or yeah. is this somebody on staff? So it's, it's so you need another doctor. No. Yeah. So when this happened, I called him up. It was like eleven o'clock, and I said, "Hi, you know, this is Michael Hyman. I'm from the urology department. We have this lady. She needs a percutaneous nephrostomy tube." You know, and and I know what he's thinking. He's like, said, uh, "Can't you, know. you use a stent?" No, I mean he knows because when I tell him that she's in septic shock, he knows that that's not an option. Yeah, and he knows that, and he's probably done you know hundreds of nephrostomy tubes, and he knows the drill. But what he doesn't know is how sick is she. And I kind of preempted that question. I go, you're wondering if this has to be done right now or if it can wait till the morning. And, you know, I said, at this moment, I think it can wait for the morning. Um, because she, but I wanted, and I said, I wanted to give you the heads up because if the nurse calls me in the middle of the night and says her pressure is dropping more and we've now added more pressors and more drips, then I'm going to call you in the middle of the night and say, you got to take her right now. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. And then, I mean, that's that's what I told him. And she made it till the morning, and they he did it the next day. Now, if you're a family member, I mean, the way I'm looking at this is this is a highly treatable situation. Correct. The kidney stone caused the infection to begin with, right? The blockage? It, the blockage, yes. Right. Correct. So correct. this is not a yet another tumor and a cancer. You know, it's exactly. not that type of road that they're going down. At the end it, of the day, it is ethical, but yes, you're right. I mean, when I say it's ethical... What would happen if, and this wasn't the case, but what would happen if she was like a terminal pancreatic cancer patient right. who had metastases to her brain and she was kind of gorked out and she was really in the last few months of her life and she comes in with this obstructing stone? Yeah, I mean... That's a different scenario. It's a little bit different. I mean, she's still 93. She's 93, but, but she is but with it is, and she has right. no other medical issues. Exactly. So this is not, this is not her day. I agree. Yeah. All right. Here's my but question. at the end of the day, the family could have still taken a different choice. The, yeah. They had that power. That's kind of what I'm getting at, which is a very... Those it, are tricky. It's, it could be, because you know, especially if you don't agree. or You're right. You know, as what the if doctor. She doesn't agree with them. It yeah. gets tricky. It right. does. Um, was she in pain? Uh, no. Okay, so waiting till the morning is, isn't... If she were, we could give her some morphine, morphine but yeah, no, that wasn't an issue. Okay. Hmm. So... Next morning, he comes, drains. He, takes her, he drain, takes her to the radiology suite. And, and then suite. you deal with the, the stone? So now she's got this Did you have to drive out. in for this, or did you do this at 11 p.m. from your house? At 11 p.m., I did this from my house. Got it. In terms of discussing with, you know, all the various parties what was going on. And I'll be honest with you, like, that's one of those things that I think has changed a little bit since I've been in practice. I mean, I think 15 years ago... I would never have done this from home. 
What's the difference now? Now there's so much that we can access remotely from home, like the CAT scan images, the labs, the, all of the data, everything. Immediately. That yeah. Immediately on my computer that I can, I can manage this from home. But no, my point is, is that you, I will say that being a guy in his 50s who trained 25 years ago, there's a traditional voice in my head that does kind of, speak in the back of my head like if my mentor was sitting next to me he'd be like you got to look at the patient and put your hands on the patient and and there's some truth to that so I did kind of have a little bit of a a moment where I thought about that I was like maybe I just need to go in there and just like see this person face to face and and you could you could criticize me and say I, I should have but it in retrospect it didn't it and didn't I matter. don't think but it would have made a did difference. a video call cross your mind no. First of all, that would have been that's not available in the ICU, to my knowledge. Mm. I mean, yeah, they don't have well, that. Don't you see on TV where there's computers, you know, like a robot roll in and the doctor's face is on there and you see the doctor and then you're talking to the screen and then they can see you in the cameras. That's not an option at Northridge Hospital. This is actually at St. Joe's. No, it wasn't okay. an option. Michael's not a yeah. cast member of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Yet. What was your question, Jay? Did you say the next morning he comes in, he drains so it, then no he, problem? He came in the next morning, and he took her to the radiology suite, pat, put the nephrostomy tube in. It went well, and yes, it was drained out, and, and then it just stays in there, and it drains to a drainage bag. and then Why does it have to stay there? Because if he just drained it out and then took the needle back out, or the tube back out, What's going to happen? Well, the stone is still there. Well, that's what I was it's just going to reaccumulate, no, I the stone and it's going is, to be infected again. But you're going to someone's going to get the stone out. We have to get the stone out, but we can't do it right now because she's acutely infected. You have to give them antibiotics for two weeks. Oh, okay. To let it resolve completely, that kidney's got to be completely clean, hmm. you know, of any bacteria, and and has to be totally. Has to have bathed in antibiotics basically for but two. But kidney weeks. stones are real bitch. They they yeah, cause all they sorts cause of problems. All kinds of problems. All kinds of problems. I mean, we've talked a little bit about preventative measures, right? Um, but it's mostly diet and genetics. Is that kind of what I'm down to? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Diet and genetics, supplements, and mostly, help at all? mostly genetics, yeah. mostly genetics. And when I say genetics, I mean you're, whether it's something an, a predisposition that you inherited or that you were born with, some kind of something has happened such that you are prone to developing it. Hmm. I I have a question. I don't know if it's for a different show, but if... <laughs> the answer is going to be yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you lose a patient yeah. in, in, during an operation or in the ICU, um, what's the paperwork like? I don't really deal with it very uh, pretty much ever because... Uh, nobody it, dies on you? Well, no, it's not that. <laughs> Number one, I'm a consultant, so I'm rarely the primary doctor right. who's responsible for that patient in the hospital. I'm a consulting uh, doctor. So it's usually like, you know, whoever's the admitting doctor has to deal with that paperwork. And there are pa there's paperwork. They have to fill out a bunch of forms and, and document the reason for, you know, the, the cause of death and officially and all that stuff. And, I mean, when I was a resident, I think I did it. Yeah. It's just, you know. It's bureaucratic stuff that you have to take care of. Interesting. Well, those are uh, some good stories. Yeah. Late nights and early mornings. and What you know. she can do, by the way, because I just spoke to the family today, and they said, oh, so she has to go home with this tube and everything. I go, well, actually, you know, she'll be probably transferred out of the intensive care unit probably tomorrow because she's off pressers now. So now she's getting better, and she's just on IV antibiotics. They'll probably transfer her to the floor tomorrow. They'll, she's weakened by all of this. You know, it's like once you're, if you're like 93 and you're lying in bed for more than like, you know, 12 hours or more than 18 hours, you're going to have a hard time getting up. Your sure. muscles will atrophy that fast. So she's got to have some, you know, physical therapy, get her some strength so she can get back up on her feet. Hmm. And um, meanwhile, as far as that tube coming out of her back, they can, it can be internalized. So they can actually, through that tube, they can... Um, pass a fine little soft wire through the tube into the kidney, down the ureter, pass the stone, down the ureter to the bladder, take the tube out. So wow. now you just have this wire there and put in one of the, we've talked about this, a double J stent anti-grade. That's the term. Double J. You put it over the wire, slide it over the wire inside, go, lets it go down to the kidney, and then you pull the wire out and then the 
the, there's a curl that deploys at the top, so it keeps it up in the kidney, and a curl that deploys at the, in the bladder that keeps it from going back up. And you understand? That's why you have a double J, because if you have a yeah. J at the where, top, where it won't it? slide down. If you have a J in the bladder, it won't come up. And where does this all end? So now if she gets that internalization, she's got a double J stent. Then they can take out the nephrostomy tube, which mm -hmm. is going to be much nicer for her not to have this external appliance. Right. She can go home like after another you know, day or two. And then after two weeks, we can schedule an outpatient procedure. She'll be stronger. She won't be infected. We'll do a general anesthesia procedure, and I'll go in there with a scope. But where's it draining? Where's what draining? No, no because now, now it's now not Now it's blocking. internal. It's It'll drain to the bladder. The, the, yeah, the tube, The double J stent, one curls up in the in yeah. the kidney, it goes past the stone, and the other curls in the bladder. So now fluid can get from the kidney to the bladder. Oh, just fluid. You're not you're not worried about urine. the infection urine. anymore, right? Yeah, you're because the antibiotics are yeah. doing their right. Thing. The uh, who right. invented this? Sounds like a great invention. Yeah, that's a good one. Who invented which? The percutaneous nephrostomy, the, the, double, the J double J stent. stent, the double J stent. Yeah, uh, it's been around since. I don't know. I think it's double been around J. Since like, the, like a Doctor like J, like a basketball nickname, like yeah. <laughs> double J stent. All right, that's, that's good. I All like right. that. That was it, guys. Yeah, thank you for that. Another yeah, exciting day. Um, yeah, that's that's you know, this unfortunately, was this was a good, uplifting summer <laughs> episode. Well, and, <laughs> and on the on your first case, I I asked briefly, but I mean, fertility not not impacted. Not I mean, real, no. And he asked that too. I said, no, you've got a healthy testicle on the other side. There's no reason to think. I that mean, you're granted, not it's like you have two. For this reason, that right? is you know, correct. You don't want to lose the second one, but that, right. but you got to. You can produce testosterone. You can produce produce sperm. So yeah, no, he shouldn't have any deficiencies. Hmm. All right, good work. The um, as you age on the testosterone, um, does does it compensate? The, he, the, usually, his testicle will get bigger. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he'll get some compensatory hypertrophy. Interesting. That's kind of like the eyes. Like one eye may may. That's interesting. Eye doesn't usually get bigger if you. Well, no, 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 eye. but. But it gets you rely on one on yeah. one side of the yeah. eye. So you're saying it gets bigger because maybe it's compensating. I mean, just that's like what an eye with a compensate. kidney too. If we have to remove a kidney, either because you're donating it for someone or it has to be removed for cancer, the other kidney typically will get bigger mm. by like twenty percent. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's okay. a big week. All right. Well, All right, guys, thank you. Well, good time. to see you both. We'll yeah. uh, we'll do it again. Yeah. Thanks, Thank guys. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience. But if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.